Welcome back to Church Unscripted. We are so glad that you've decided to check us out, uh, to uh, stay up with us on these podcasts, and uh, we hope that they are encouraging to you. We hope that they uh, uplift you. We hope that they give you some uh, deeper knowledge, deeper insight into the uh, messages that we're preaching here on Sunday morning. I'm here with Pastor John and Pastor David, and we are here to talk about a brand new sermon series that we started this week on the book of Colossians. And so Pastor John started it this week, and uh, it was really a great start to a journey because really the, the book of Colossians is a journey that Paul puts his mm-hmm. uh, the readers in or puts his readers on uh, to help develop their faith in Jesus Christ. And so this whole series is built on this one verse that I believe is is really the theme of the entire series. It's it's chapter two, verse six, where it says, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in your faith as you were taught and then overflowing with thankfulness. And I'm like, you know, that looks like, that sounds like, the Christian life as it continues to mature. And so uh, with that kind of a background, talk about what we started today. What was the initiation of this journey that uh, Paul's gonna put us on for the next few weeks? Well, we were starting in Colossians chapter one and in chapter one, there's some different things that, that Paul addresses. And one of those is he, he's rooted in celebration. He's celebrating the gospel, faith, love, and hope in the church. Um, he's actually never been to Colossae where the Colossians live and he's speaking of like their reputation essentially. And so he, he's excited about that. But then also um, he focuses on prayer. And so he says in verse nine, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased praying for you. And then it continues, what is he praying for? And so when we're gonna be rooted in Jesus Christ, as you, you shared that verse, we need to be rooted in prayer as well. And so that that's a huge part of it too, as well. And then the next part, he actually um, talks about how Jesus is first, because there was this group of people that were saying, called the Gnostics that were saying that Jesus, it was Jesus plus. And so it was Jesus and, oh, you need to do this too, or you need to do that, or we have secret knowledge. And essentially they were just know-it-alls. And so we need to be rooted in his presence because he's the first among everything. And really it comes down to uh, at the end of the passage in verse 19 through 23, that Jesus is the reconciliation. He's the one that's reconciled us to God. And so to be rooted in him is to be rooted in reconciliation. Um, So I think that's really important to start the series to say, okay, we need to celebrate. We also need to pray and we also need to have his presence. And and if we have all those things, then we can be people that reconcile relationships and build relationships. There's something of a process to it. So it sounds like based on that process, you described that the first thing that we do to, to root ourselves in Jesus is to to celebrate things. Um, if that's kind of the starting point, which makes a lot of sense, by the way, uh, what are the ways that our enemy tries to keep us from celebrating? And so, I mean, we, we talk a lot of people at Brookside, not just at Brookside, all over the place, who seem to have more things to complain about than to celebrate and be thankful for. So what happens psychologically in us that Ooh. prevents celebration? I don't know. I don't know. If it, I'll let you go. <laughs> One of the big distractions is there's always more. So we can't celebrate who we are, what we are, if there's always something more. And I think that's an attack of the enemy and kind of that consumeristic mindset that we're, that we're fighting when we do celebrate is like, oh, I have enough, like thank God for all these things. Um, when we are filled with gratitude, it kind of combats that consumerism maybe. Well, in, 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 I mean, overall, we don't tend to celebrate the things that Paul's celebrating here. Even we don't celebrate when people hear the gospel. We don't celebrate when someone comes to faith. We don't celebrate when someone loves well or they hope 
in Jesus Christ. And I think that is culturally, um, it's not as uh, hot. Like people don't want to do that as much because it's like, oh, yeah, someone came to faith. Oh, that's cool. And then we move on. Um, I also think there's something to what you said is like this culture of we never have enough. I think even back then, the the Gnostic people, the people that he was addressing these these that had heresy, they were basically um, saying Jesus wasn't enough. And so I think I think even Paul in his celebration is saying Jesus is more than enough. Yeah. And so when we live from that posture of Jesus is more than enough, then it's easier to celebrate. And so complaining about um, what's going on in your life, there's a place for lament. There's not a place for complaining. And I think that's a careful distinction mm-hmm. is lamenting like, oh, I'm really sad that this happened and I'm really like struggling with this or I feel sad. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm starting to realize I, I, I'm that way um, versus just finding every reason why something's irritating to you mm-hmm. or you feel hurried or rushed or things mm-hmm. like that. So there's a difference between the two, I think. Yeah, um, and if you if you just tend to complain, if that's your natural default, then you'll never understand the mindset or the heart of the psalmist when he wrote Psalm 23. Because it's like, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, mm-hmm. there's a lot to complain about when you're in that kind of valley. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I, I will still fear no evil yeah. for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Mm-hmm. And so in the midst of an environment saturated by things worth complaining about, uh, there's still things that God does that shows you his comfort and his goodness, his providence and so on and so forth. Um, and I, I think that's a really important thing. David, you'll appreciate this. There's several people in my life, um, um, th- throughout my life, who just seem to sing all the time. Mm. I'm not talking about like songs they hear on the radio, but like there's a hymn that will just like come out. They won't even know that they're singing it. Yeah. They'll just hum it. Mm-hmm. And at some point I'm like, that's annoying, stop singing, right? <laughs> but, then, yeah. but then I heard a professor say that oftentimes an indication of somebody who has a lot of joy built up, mm-hmm. built up in them as a result of the Holy Spirit living in them is that he gives them a song to sing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know theologically everything what that means, but it feels like that one of the outflows of having a heart that's so full of celebration and joy because of what you see God has done for you Mm. is that you tend to sing celebratory, praiseworthy kind of songs. I don't know. Have you you seen that? Yeah. Well, when you said that, I I had a sixth grade teacher who always whistled and it was the same thing. (laughs) It was literally, it was like, this is annoying. Stop it. But as I grew up and, and, reflected on his life and the way that he lived and the way that he loved Christ, the whistle was the overflow of his heart posture, right? And so like, there was never a day that Mr. Anderson wasn't whistling and smiling. And he had lived a lot of life. He had a crazy story and that was just the overflow of him. Um, I think of, as you were talking a little bit about the celebration and um, kind of the when people come to Christ in that celebration too. I was thinking back, I spent a summer in Brazil in high school Mm. and it was in the slums and these people have nothing. But when they had church and someone came to know Jesus, they pulled out everything. Church didn't stop. They were running home, grabbing food. They threw a big party every time. And I'm like, man, maybe that's what it looks like to celebrate is to like be 
satisfied with what you have, what you need, and then everything else is just a party after that. I don't know. You know, I, I feel like that's why the jailer in the book of Acts and his entire family were saved. Yeah. Not because of the theology. That, I think it's Paul and Silas, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They get arrested. They get thrown in this dark, dungy dungeon. Yeah. And they don't know if they're going to make it out of there. And then it says about midnight, they were, what, singing Sing. praises. Yep, yep. How do you sing praises? How do you celebrate when you're in that kind of environment? I assume the jailer heard them. Oh, yeah. And then when all, literally hell breaks loose. <laughs> heaven? All of heaven? Oh, sorry, you're right. All heaven okay. breaks loose. <laughs> sets them free. Good, good theology yeah. adjustment. Uh, I mean, the jailer's like, I mean, what is happening? Yeah. And Paul says, don't, don't kill yourself, literally. We're all still here. And then from that point on, the man and his entire household get saved. And yeah. I'm wondering if something struck the jailer about the fact that in the midst of mm. terrible circumstances, they still celebrated. Yeah. And I think that has a huge impact yeah. on us. I, I think sometimes that's a greater testimony than almost anything else a Christian can do. Sure. Because when you're going through difficulty and still you have a, a peaceful spirit about you, you're, you're excited about life still. I think, I think when people witness people that are suffering and they're still clinging to Jesus, they want more of that because they themselves know that maybe I would crumble under that circumstance. Hmm. So I think there's, there's, a, there's something to that, Eric. I think there's a lot to it. Yeah. So I mean, you say this is the beginning of how we root ourselves in Jesus. I agree. It might also be the ending of being rooted mm-hmm. in Jesus mm-hmm. because yeah. this is coming out of that depth of mm. relationship. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I have another question. Really? I have no really? shortage of questions. Really? So I'm glad I get to be the I'm host shocked. today. <laughs> and that's right, that's right. So I'm like, I get to be the host today because I like <laughs> questions and I'm going to ask them, all right? So we might be here a couple hours. Here's the second question. Just kidding. Here's the next question. So you talked about this idea of a menu, right? And you referenced this, yeah. this Michelin Star 3 Michelin restaurant <laughs> yeah, you went yeah. to, which you weren't sure about the food. It was something of an adventure. <laughs> but once you tried it, you're like, wow, this is really, really good. And so your experience of the menu... Um, since you were willing to push through it, uh, overwhelmed your perception of the menu. Yes. Right? Yeah. How does that look like in our relationship with God? Because oftentimes I can project for myself the best menu and I can tell God what I think I need to consume. I can tell him what I most need. And if I were to tell him that, I would say, I don't need any of the valleys that Psalm 23 talk about. (laughs) I don't mm-hmm. need to be surrounded by my enemies that Psalm 23 talks about. I don't need to be in a dark dungeon like Paul and Silas were. Mm-hmm. That's my menu for me. But yet for some reason, God seems to, he either leads us into those places or he allows us to go into those places. And I think with that menu, we're like, you know what? I don't know if this is the restaurant I want to eat at. But if we're willing to push through our perception and actually consume the menu God has for us, we'll realize that it's through those experiences that we find the grace and the mercy, compassion, perspective, whatever it is, that we really need, even mm-hmm. though we couldn't articulate we needed it. So what does that look like in your lives? I, I, think, I think the first step is always faith because you have to acknowledge that God is good. Um, I, I took a couple different circumstances out of my sermon that I was going to talk about, um, just things that have happened in my life. And I, I thought about it like the moments that hit me the most over my lifetime are the moments that someone tells me something or something happens mm. that I have literally zero control over. God has control, but I have no control mm-hmm. and is life altering. So I think of um, having a moment where 
you know, a doctor tells me, hey, you need to sit down before I tell you this. Anytime a doctor says that, your heart's like, yeah. <laughs> like, 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 why do I need to sit down? Why, what's going on? And, and you know, that's happened to me a couple times. And I think, I think in those moments, the only thing that you can press through is through faith. And so that's when you realize, okay, my menu is different than other people's menus. Mm. But the reality is my menu is not what I want it to be. It's what God wills for me. And what God wills for me is what's best for me. Mm. And I think that's the struggle sometimes is we're like, well, why would God want us to suffer? Why? Mm. Well, sin, death, and destruction entered the world. It's not God. Mm. <laughs> you know, like it, it, it was Adam and Eve and, and yeah, it just, yeah. it's here, you know? And so I think that's sometimes the struggle is you, you look at the menu and you're like, mm. okay, God made this menu and I don't like it. This is the menu I want. I want yeah. comfort food. I want, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings and French fries and, I don't, as I said in the sermon, I don't want an oyster jalapeno slider, you know, whatever that was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? And so I think, I think sometimes though, what we get lost in is we mm. have a lack of awe over what God has put in front of us. Mm -hmm. Like I never would have thought any of that food at the restaurant would have actually tasted good. Like I looked at that combination of things and I'm like, <laughs> that's not gonna be good. And then I ate it and I'm like, this is amazing, yeah, right? right? And so I think to overcome that, 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 little bit of, uh, you said perception versus like what actually happens when you actually eat mm -hmm. the food. The perception is you have to ask God and you have to work on actually changing your heart. Your heart has to be changed and transformed and your faith has to grow stronger because God doesn't give us something that, that we cannot handle with his grace. Yeah. I don't want to say God does not give yeah. us something we can't handle. <clears throat> Glad you made There's that There's plenty of things right. that we cannot handle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. but the reality is with his grace and his love yeah. and his mercy, like we can handle those mm -hmm. things. So Faith never grows unless it's first tested, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, I, and I realize in my life, I don't know if it's true in your life, I would never see or even appreciate God's generosity unless I was lacking something mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. yeah. I would never appreciate his hope unless I found myself mm -hmm. in some degree hopeless. Yeah. I would never want his healing if I wasn't somewhat spiritually whatever injured, right? And so I think you're right. I mean, mm. it, it's, it's we're never going to embrace his menu for us mm. unless we're willing to push through a menu that we don't really understand yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that was a really good distinction. I think there's also another element to this that uh, includes testimony, right? Like, mm -hmm. so we may see other people's menus and be like, oh, why didn't you give me that menu with the house and the vacation home? And the, but when you actually hear a testimony, you, you hear all the things that maybe that person went through or you, or even, you know, somebody that you may not want their menu, but they have a similar menu to you. You can hear their experience and they can encourage you in faith. So I think it's important also in this to share your testimony, be vulnerable with mm -hmm. it. Like, hey, this is the menu I have. This is the menu God's given me and it's hard. I don't, I don't like it, but that vulnerability might help somebody else along mm -hmm. in taking a bite off of their menu. Mm -hmm. um, and what the scripture says, it says taste and see that the Lord is good, right? Yeah. And so that's, I think that's one of the ways that we can grab a taste of what God has for us is through the story of somebody mm -hmm. else um, in that. Absolutely, absolutely. I've got more questions, so let's keep Imagine rolling. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine Eric having more questions. Oh, man, it's good. So I, I love how, you, I mean, we began this conversation by talking about how uh, prayer ought to include celebration. Mm -hmm. What you're suggesting next is that celebration often leads to more prayer. 
Yes. Which, which is, yeah, yeah. It's which is really good. And so being rooted in Jesus uh, means that we have to have something of a habit, routine, uh, lifestyle of prayer. And oftentimes that's hard for me. I know people who call themselves prayer warriors, and I, I think that they are. They seem to pray all the time about everything. <laughs> and that's fantastic. I would love to do that. Uh, and I would like to say that I pray a lot. But man, I can catch myself being like, my goodness, I didn't even think about God today. Mm. And so how do, we, how, do we, how do we build more prayer into our lifestyle? I'm not just mm. saying, hey, I want to pray more, but it becomes more natural to mm. us. I, have you ever stopped when you're making a decision and just said, hey, let's pray? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think one of the most powerful things that I've witnessed is like if, if David comes to me and says, hey, I need some prayer, Instead of saying, oh, I'll pray for you, I just pray for him in the moment. Yeah. And so like a lot of times it's stopping and pausing, which in our culture is one, uncomfortable, mm -hmm. two, unpopular. And so I think the, the pausing moments of prayer is something that we need to be able to focus on. Mm -hmm. You know, I jokingly in first service said, well, don't, you know, pray while you're driving. And then I said in second service, and it was funny because the second service people are like, that's not funny. I would get in a car accident. And that's kind of like the response. No, I, you mean close your eyes. Close when your eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah close your, your eyes when you're driving. driving. It's not okay to driving. pray while you're. Yeah, yeah pray while you're driving. <laughs> please, with your eyes open. Please pray while you're driving. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't close your eyes while yeah, you're yeah. driving. There you go. Got to clarify there you go. that. Right. There you yeah. Go. Okay. So, so, but I think I think in some ways mm. we get lost in how we choose to yeah. pray, like the yeah. like the the posture of our physical body or that our eyes are open or closed and we forget that God is there communicating with us and we have intimacy with him through Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so there's moments where we can just pray and we don't have to be, do anything else. I, I, I like my kids closing their eyes when they pray and it's a preference thing, but you know why? It's, it has nothing to do with prayer has everything to do with distraction. Yeah, <laughs> and so, right. so, like, so like, I think that we get lost in what we're taught, especially when we're young, to realize that prayer is something that we can continually do. Yeah. Do I ever pray in my thoughts? I mean, do you ever pray without saying something? I do, you know, or do we, do we verbalize it sometimes? Sometimes I'm saying it under my breath or something like that. I think there's many times we can do that. Here's the thing, and Eric, I can empathize with what you said. It's like, sometimes I just don't know, are we... Am I missing something or is there, yeah. I'm not stopping to pray. Sometimes we forget about how much God has actually given us. And we're only doing things under our own power. And I think that's the struggle for every Christian is, are we really praying for things that only God can do? And I think that's the mm -hmm. difference. I think that's what changes and transforms us into people of prayer is we have to pray for things that only God can do. God, I cannot bring someone to salvation. God can. Mm -hmm. I cannot, you know, choose to... Uh, like, uh, what am I thinking? Like heal someone. I can't do that. But praying for things that only God can do and then expecting him to show up in some way, mm -hmm. I think is, makes it a lot more powerful. Mm -hmm. So prayer based on faith, right? Mm -hmm. Which is huge. And yeah, prayer I mean, based not just on transactions, but on relationship. Yeah. And so it's not just, hey, John, can you do this for me and this for me and this for me and this for me and this for me? Yeah. It's, hey, uh, thank you for being the kind of God that you are. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? So, yeah. you know, I had a thought and I don't know if this is accurate or not, but I've, I've, I've well, often wondered- unscripted, so- Who say whatever it. we want to on <laughs> yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, I've often thought, you know, it's, it's difficult for so many of us to have a lifestyle of prayer 
because it's hard for us to think through a litany of things to talk about. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost mm-hmm. like we've got to prepare a lecture before yeah. God, say, here's my prayer presentation, yep. then give me a grade. Is it an A? Good, you're going to do everything that I ask you to do in my prayer, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But I feel like, and I think that's our posture a lot of times, which makes it hard for us mm-hmm. to pray. But I had a, I had a, a thought, just want to throw this out to you guys. What if when we pray, it's not us initiating a conversation with God. What if our prayers is response to what God is speaking to our soul already? Yep. And so mm-hmm. when, I am, when, I, when I take time when I'm driving a 20 minute drive and I shut the radio off and I just start to pray, I feel like I'm initiating a conversation. What if the things I'm praying about is something God has already spoken about in my spirit because his spirit lives in me, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just responding to him. Is that accurate or is that way off? I, I think that's a huge part of prayer. I, I, there's so much listening that needs to happen in our prayer that we don't allow space for. Um, and I think that's what you're like kind of encouraging is like just be and then let that overwhelming kind of thought of God then overflow back to himself. It's just a cyclical relationship. It's the, it's the dance that, you know, like you're, our wives may say something to us that trigger a response back to her that we weren't initiating, but she had Mm -hmm. said something that we're just responding to, right? It's the same thing Mm -hmm. in prayer. It's just a response to what God's already doing. I totally agree with what you're saying. So can you, can, can we have prayer? I think think that's a different look though, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, cause you're talking about preparing lecture. Yeah. What I'm latching onto is, both that what you're saying is right, but how do we get people from feeling like they're in a lecture conversation with yeah. Jesus to where you're describing, where it's, okay, mm. this is a response from what's already happening in my spirit. Does that make sense? No, that, I think that's the hurdle we need to get over because, I mean, can, can you be in prayerful communion with God and not be cognizant of it? Can you do that? Is that shalom, like the peace of God? I don't know. I mean, that'd God be that great. Because understanding. I mean, that's... Something I noticed about my wife, Heather and I, is after being married for 18 years, we start to say things like each other. <laughs> oh, man. You know? Uh-huh. That's yeah. hilarious. And we don't even know we're doing it. Right. It's, it's we respond in kind to the same kind of thing simply because we've been in presence with each other yep. for over 18 years. And yeah. I'm wondering if part of what the Bible means when it says to pray unceasingly is you don't even know what's happening, but the fact that the very presence of God is living mm-hmm. in you, that connection mm-hmm. is so intimate mm. that there's prayer life happening and you don't even know it. Yeah, I don't well, know. I mean, is this I mean, weird the, or not? like the Holy Spirit prays on your behalf, even far beyond what you can even comprehend. So, I feel like there is truth there. So, that, so the 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 thing I keep thinking when you're saying that, yeah. that way, I'm thinking is prayer actually have to be verbal? I mean, we would agree that it doesn't necessarily have to be verbal, right? I mean, it's in your thoughts. I, th- I think it's good if you can verbalize, but it doesn't have to be. God Does, knows your heart. And no, and I'm not saying yeah. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not talking about like you're, you're the breaking. You're breaking down the stereotypical. I, I'm just saying. Prayer. I'm just saying what you're describing yeah. is most people think there's a formal pastoral yeah. prayer. It's not like what you're describing right. with the Spirit. It's just mm-hmm. yeah. Well, what it is one, so. one of the things like I've I've wanted to be better at prayer in my personal life too. So one of the things that I 
adapt it. I read a book called Holy Noticing. They talk a little bit about the monastics and their rhythms of life and things. But one of the things that intrigued me was they would they had set times for prayer throughout their day. And so what I've done is I, I set an alarm on my phone, nine, noon, and nine. 9 a.m., all it says is pray for my heart. So that's my, like, that's just a visual, like, kind of thought. So now my thought is on how is my heart today? It's not a full lengthy prayer, but it's, what it's doing is it's kind of what you're doing. What you're saying is just triggering that thought and allowing the prayer life to kind of happen mm-hmm. as I'm going about my work. At noon, it says pray for my family. So what is it that's in my heart for my family? And then at night, it's pray for others that don't know mm-hmm. Christ. And so what that has done for me, and I, it's not perfect every day, but it, it has developed in me a rhythm. So my my mind is in that space. So when I see that alarm, I may be filming a podcast or in a meeting with somebody. As soon as I feel my phone buzz, I'm like, I know what time it is. And, and, and it reminds me to keep my mind in prayer. Yeah. And then it, you're able to have those moments with yeah. God that aren't like, dear heavenly father, right. please help me this, please help me that. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it becomes more of a, a life flow. Like, well, and your breath prayers. Yeah, yeah. and you're, you're shifting from what I call the gumball approach or the right. genie approach to- What's the gumball approach? You, you put a quarter in the machine, you get a gumball. Like, oh, so you, yeah, yeah. you pray to God and then you get a gumball, right? Yeah. Or you rub the lamp and then all of a sudden you get your wish. Mm-hmm. I think you're shifting from that to, okay, God is the one who created me. Yeah. He breathed life in me, even today in the sermon where, where Jesus is preeminent, but he's also the one sustaining our very life. Yeah like our very breath while well, we're praying to him because he is in us yep. and working through us if we're followers of Jesus. Yep. So that's why that's why I really loved where you went next and you talked about this concept of of gnosis. And so yeah. I mean Paul's you said Paul's writing this letter to the Colossian church to combat the gnostic influence onto the church which which mm-hmm. was a theme actually throughout the churches throughout um, the New Testament era, mm-hmm. which is fascinating. And I don't fully understand what Gnosticism fully is, but I just know that it's dangerous and it's still alive, even though we don't call it Gnosticism. Yeah. But I love your, your definition of Gnosis, which is of course knowledge, but the, the Jewish perception of what knowledge actually is, it's not intellectual assent. Mm-hmm. It may include that, it may start with that, mm-hmm but then it's not fully knowledge until you experience it, till you walk mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you asked us the question, you know, how much do we really know God? And a lot of people at face value would answer that by saying, you know what? I've got so much of the Bible memorized, man. I went through quizzing in youth group. <laughs> I go to church for decades and I read my Bible all the time. Let me show you how many verses I've memorized. But according to Paul's understanding of Gnosis, that's not what he's talking mm-hmm. about. He's talking about how much are you walking? How intimate are you? Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like, I feel like that is really powerful because that's the way families operate. I know my kids, not just because I see what they do. Mm -hmm. I know my kids because I understand them better because we've walked with each other. And so when I see my son on the basketball court and he's crossing his legs, I'm like, he's got to pee. You know, nobody else notices that. (laughs) We're like, he's really, he's got to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or it's, it's when they're really, really tired. They get really, really quiet. And so you know each other because you experience life with each other. So how do you encourage somebody who says, I know the Bible so well, Mm. how do you encourage them to really know Jesus in an experiential kind of way? I think that was posted. Oh, it's it's for me? (laughs) me? I'm just kidding. 
Well, I, I think I think one of the biggest things that people don't realize is essentially what, what I, I had said in the sermon about the Jews is like knowledge without action doesn't mean anything. Mm. So church attendance, it, it, Eric, you're going to hate me saying this. Church attendance doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't. If you don't have a relation with Jesus, that church attendance is not going to matter. And so I think I think one barrier or thing that you walk past that is is in the verse it also says walk in a manner worthy worth of worth of the Lord yep. or worthy of the Lord and I think it's important to realize that you need to focus on actually applying what you know mm. someone that has this much knowledge about Jesus mm. that applies it is better that some, than someone has this much that only applies this much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of people that have a lot of knowledge about Jesus, but they don't actually know Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. And so some of that starts with making an effort. Um, you know, when you first get married, you, you date your wife, right? And then the longer you're married to your wife, you start realizing you're not really dating each other anymore. You're not pursuing each other anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm saying this not just from personal yep. experience, but everyone I've ever talked to, it's like there's a certain point where it's like, wow, we need to like start dating each other again, right? And so I think, I think with Jesus, sometimes we come to faith in Jesus and we see that as the end goal rather than the end goal being knowing Jesus over time and knowing him like you know your kids yeah. or know someone else. And you can react to situations and respond to people in a way that is loving and caring and, mm. and thoughtful. Um, but I think, I think the big part of that though with the word knowledge is he is the full knowledge of God. And so that's, mm. that's something I didn't really share too much. It's, it's epigenos, epigenosis. Mm-hmm. He's the full knowledge of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the full knowledge of God. So all knowledge that we could potentially have is in Jesus. And so once we realize that, mm. that knowledge becomes action because we're saying, okay, this is the only thing that matters. Mm-hmm. Once we give up, like there's a point in my life, you know, you, you're like, I want to do this. I want to do this with my life. I want to do this and I want to do this. And then you hit dead ends and you're just like, God, is this really all you have for me? I think everyone goes through, it's like a midlife crisis, but different. And then you start realizing like, God, this is all you have for me. But guess what? I'm excited about this now because Jesus is, is, is the central focus of my life. And it changes because you're just like, wait a second, that's okay. I was looking for myself. Do you see what I'm saying? Like change of perspective. Mm. So, so there's a lot of people that have been in church for a lot of years Mm. and they need a reignition of their first love of the one that, Mm. that, that they loved when they first came to Jesus. They need to start dating Jesus again. If you want to say that that way, that sounds, that's a bad way of saying it, but yeah, this changed the analogy. Okay. Change the analogy. They're not dating Jesus. They're spending time with Jesus. Okay. All right. That's better. So what what, what my point is, is they need to, Mm. to pursue, Jesus yeah. so they know him more. And so I, I think we we sometimes get lost in the staleness of knowing Christ for so long. And we we lose sight of the excitement it is when we see someone come to faith. Mm. Can I can I tell a really short story? Yeah. So there's someone, someone at Brookside that recently was able to share their faith with someone that walked in the church on a day. And I keep kept thinking to myself afterwards, I'm like, this person like I look up to them mm. in faith. They're further along than me. And they're like, I've never had such a good conversation about faith mm. with someone that didn't know anything about God. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I'm like, 
wow, I wish more of that would happen. And they were so encouraged and excited. They told everybody about the story, right? <laughs> yep. And I think more of us need to realize that maybe God has got that, that, that platform in front of us and we're just not taking advantage of it. Like God's given us opportunities or God's given us place, but we're not looking for it. And so part of the, the difference, the no to action is we got to start looking for what God is showing us. Mm. We're missing it. Yeah. We're too sped up. Or, yeah, what was it? It's um, remind me of the passage. I think it's Romans 12. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Is that yeah, Romans 12? Yeah, yeah. But be renewed by the transforming of your mind. And then you will know what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I find that a, a fascinating process because a lot of people, like you said, say, I want to know what God has for me. What is his will? What does he want me to do? Yeah. And we kind of get stuck in paralysis, faith paralysis, because <laughs> yeah. we don't have yeah. that clarity, right? Yep. Um, but what you're suggesting in what Romans 12 is saying is that first let your mind know Jesus. And when you get to know Jesus, the more you know him, Mm-hmm. the more his will is revealed in your life. And I think this is what Jesus is getting after when Philip in the gospels asks him, hey, Jesus, just show us the father and that's gonna mm-hmm. be enough for us. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is like, well, haven't you seen me? If you've seen me, you've seen the father. Yeah. And the problem is Jesus is saying, if you want to know the father, look at me. If you want to know the father, know me. Mm-hmm. Philip's mentality, like so many of us, is that Jesus was simply a conduit for us mm-hmm. to know the father. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is like, nope. I am the father, he and I are one. And so if we're stuck in, in mm. faith paralysis, the best answer is not to go read a bunch of books to say, here's the career God wants me to have. Mm. Here's where God wants me to move to. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. get to know Jesus and that stuff will start falling in place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, next question. <laughs> I know, he's got questions. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting got... for him to yeah, ask another one. All right, I got plenty of them. <laughs> All right, so actually, one more, okay? I'll, I'll wrap it up. With this <laughs> one. I'll wrap it up with this one. You, really, you said that the last section of the verses, verse nineteen through twenty-three, mm-hmm. uh, emphasizes the reconciliatory nature of being rooted in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, you got all kinds of scripture pouring into this thought. You've mm-hmm. got, you know, for God, um, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world mm-hmm. that He gave His one and only mm-hmm. Son. That's a reconciliatory act. Uh, so that anyone who believes in him will not die, but of everlasting life. Mm-hmm. And so what you're suggesting is that, is that the deeper we're rooted in Jesus, the more we will strive for reconciliation, not just person to person, but person to God. Mm-hmm. And so we will live our life more in tune with the great commandment that God gave us, right? Is yes. to go into all the world and baptize and teach and make disciples. Mm-hmm. So how do we address it? When we see something in our life that doesn't love somebody else, and therefore we're not gonna be pursuing reconciliation, how do we see that as an indication or a marker that something in our life is not rooted in Jesus? I just turned to David, did you see that? I did, he just, I, he just deferred. I think, but, let's, let's go back and forth a little bit. So I, I have a couple thoughts. One, I think, Many times the reason we're feeling that way mm-hmm. is because we haven't healed and there's something else affecting us. So it's not even just that person. So um, I've had situations where, you know, I had an experience maybe as a kid and then all of a sudden an adult does something to me and then I'm like, mm. ooh, I really don't like how that feels. I'm realizing I'm perceiving it one way and the other person's perceiving it a way and there's no sin involved. Mm-hmm. It's literally just something that hurt me when I was younger and now I'm like, oh, I'm hurt now. Um, those are moments where we have to reconcile those thoughts 
to what Jesus Christ says mm-hmm. about us or others. Yeah. And I think that's that's part of the the difficulty because um, in verse 20, Colossians 1 verse 20, it says, through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of his cross. So there's a few things that it's saying there. One, it's earth and heaven. It also says peace by the blood of the cross. Yeah. So, so really what we're looking for, I think, Eric, is we're looking for that moment to get to that peace. Mm. Why would we be resistant to that? Because we ourselves are struggling with sin. Yeah. We ourselves are struggling with hurt, pain, trauma. And we're not realizing that maybe that is actually influencing what we're thinking about someone else that we don't want to reconcile with. Hmm. Yeah. And so yeah. It, 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 if you, it, anything, with, as with anything, if you hmm. focus on changing others, it's really going to be a struggle mm-hmm. rather than trying to change yourself. And hmm. you need to focus on changing yourself. Hmm. So I don't know, David, if that's... I thought that was great. Um, <laughs> Now, one of the things I was, I was thinking of is, you know, in those moments, some of that is like an attack on identity also. Mm-hmm. Is like, you know, th- there's a seed of thought that's like, well, you don't actually, like you do feel this way about the situation. But I think the verses after that, 21, uh, and you who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Like that's the identity statement. So like in those moments, there is like some of it may be true in revealing some things in our hearts, but at the same time, we can't allow that to shift our identity um, away from who we are in Christ and who he, he has made us through his mm-hmm. blood. And so, um, I think it's definitely a gauge, something that if we are frequently kind of thinking that way, we need to check out. Um, but I think we need to be reminded then of our identity and rest in that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been a fun conversation, just the beginning, I think, of, yeah. of a, a journey and a series of conversations that I think is going to help each one of us mm-hmm. become more and more rooted in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so thank you, John. Thank you, Dave, for being a part of this. Yeah. And thank you for being a part of this conversation. We look forward to seeing you next week. And if you have not done so already, make sure you subscribe. If you're watching this on YouTube, like the channel as well as share it so more people can be involved in this. And you can also download this podcast on all of the podcast platforms, whichever source that you want to download it from. And so So thanks again for being here and we can't wait to see you next week.